Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to be talking about, well, lots of things for USC football with Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, we've got a lot of questions about the game. We want to get to all that. You can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you have a question or leave us a voicemail, 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. You can also go to our website peristylepodcast.com leave a voicemail there on the left side of the page and of course subscribe on itunes itunes.com slash peristyle podcast great way to leave us some feedback if you like the show that would be great it really helps us propagate the show throughout the world where the usc fans are listening to us and uh wanted to bring in the coach harvey hyde because it's not been slow it's been anything but slow around usc we wanted to get your thoughts and a lot of people had questions for you what's up coach how are you doing well, buddy, it's been busy around here. It's been busy around everywhere to uh, have the football season uh, come down to championship weekend. Now the bowl selections and talking about who USC is going to be playing and the coaching cha- coaching changes that have gone on. Recruiting continues the last week of recruiting until you really have to, uh, it goes through like a quiet uh, period. There's a lot happening. And then trying to fit in your holiday parties and your shopping and, all of the other activities that are happening, I might say we've got 12 guys in the huddle, Ryan. Yeah, 12 guys in the huddle, illegal uh, participation, too much going on. Um, okay, well, let's. I want to thank our sponsor first, Coach. Southern California Tickets, they've been with us for years and years. So if you want to go to the Holiday Bowl on December 30th, definitely go to sctickets.com. They can help you out, 1-800-888-7287. Uh, not just the Holiday Bowl, but any kind of sporting event in Southern California across the country. Or if you want to go even to like the theater, stuff like that, you can get tickets from sctickets.com. And they've been helping us out. And uh just want to let people know, too, we did an emergency podcast while Dan and I were driving back from the Bay Area. The sound quality wasn't great. We were recording in the car on the on the 5 freeway. We actually had to record it twice. First time the sound quality was unlistenable. We tried to make it better the second time. Um, so at least you got something a little like some initial thoughts because people were really asking for it about, you know, asking on Twitter for us to do some kind of emergency podcast. So we're going to do one with Dan again, where you'll be able to hear him a little bit better. Of course, we're going to do one with Coach Harvey Hyde today. We'll probably get Gerard Martinez on. I'll probably do a solo one. So we'll have a whole bunch of podcasts and stuff uh, this week. We might do a live one on Wednesday night. So check back on uscfootball.com for that. Uh, but Coach, man, I, I don't know. There's just so much been going on. The game seems like it's a month ago, and it was just a couple days ago. But then Clay Helton fires a whole bunch of assistants. This morning, Steve Sarkeesian suing USC. It's just never a dull moment around this program. There isn't, and this podcast doesn't have enough time to cover all these topics no. thoroughly. <laughs> it really doesn't, because it seems like something goes away and then something reappears or comes back. And uh, it seems like, you know, on what grounds is Steve Sarkeesian firing, or uh, firing, hiring you? Uh, suing USC, and the, you and I spoke off the air on some of the incidents that could be, and I hope, and I really do hope that USC covered its back door 
and understanding and knowing with the attorneys, attorneys and legal system they have and all the legal support that they would know how to terminate somebody and do it right the correct way as far as the packages, as far as the disabilities, as far as everything that's out there that you should know in this uh, this uh, firing. And uh, I, it really confuses me because on what grounds and then the way I hear what the grounds are, I would say, oh, that's impossible because they would have to know that's a possibility if they don't do it properly. So I don't know. Yet, we don't know enough about it, but uh, yeah, we'll wait and see what's next. I mean, what will come after that, Ryan? I don't know. There's, I mean, there's just so many things. But so what we want to focus on for this show, we're not going to talk about the Sark lawsuit. That's all just kind of breaking right now. Um, we're going to definitely talk about the, the coaching stuff a little bit, but we wanted to get into the game and get to what some of the questions were on the actual football game because USC did play, Coach. I don't know if you know this. They did play against Stanford in the Pac-12 championship game. It seems like, you know, a million years ago and 10 stories ago, but that actually did happen. So we wanted to talk about that. So let's start off with a voicemail question, Coach, if you're cool with that. And uh, let me play it for you. Hey, Ryan, this is uh, Eric in Dallas, Georgia. My question is for you um, or Coach Hyde. How disappointing was it to see McCaffrey run all over our D last night? I mean, if we stop McCaffrey, we win that game, in my opinion, seriously. So why didn't we load the box? to make Stanford one-dimensional. Um, I've been very critical of Justin Wilcox, and with good reason. I mean, his D is terrible. It's really time that we go get an old-school-style defensive coordinator, someone who's down on the sidelines, half-backwards, showing some passion, and isn't afraid to play aggressive. What are your thoughts? Love the podcast. Side on from Georgia. Bye. Well, you know, uh, they are going to do that. Uh, obviously, uh Justin's been relieved of his coaching responsibilities by now. If you haven't heard, that's happened. And, uh, you know, it is uh, very disappointing to go into a game like that, knowing what you have to do and knowing in advance what type of athlete you're going to play and allow that athlete to have the type of success he did against you. Now, I think part of it was he's a great athlete, but I think a lot of it is just because of how you played on defense. I mean, let's give somebody some credit, but to have two defensive performances, such as the Oregon performance in the secondary, and then the day that they set a national record as far as, what, 461 yards and breaks Barry Sanders' record, they're both against USC. That's very disappointing and, may I say, embarrassing. To the athletic department, to the football program and to all the football fans that follow USC football. Uh, I think the, the, the way that probably would have been the best defense to use against uh, Stanford would have been uh, for the offense to keep uh, Kristen McCrafty off the field, and that's by having the ball, ball controlling, and staying with your identity that you're trying to uh, be now as far as a smash mouth run football team, play action pass, and all of that. But when you start a football game off offensively, first of all, you know, you, uh, you, uh, Stanford receives the kickoff and drives down the field. I forget how many plays, 15 plays. And fortunately, USC plays good red zone defense, and they force him into a field goal, and they get a sack by Port Augustine. And a couple of things happen in the uh, red zone. Otherwise, it would be a, it'd been a complete blowout in the first half, 
But they go in at halftime down 13-3, to and they still got life. But they had the poorest performance not only on the defensive side of the football, but let's, let's don't forget about the offensive side of the football. I mean, they didn't move the football. They had one drive at the end of the uh, half to get their three points, and they had some burn timeouts at the wrong time, and one individual who's playing real hard just had a mental lapse and didn't run out of bounds where they had to burn a, a, a timeout. You don't do that playing Stanford. You don't do that in championship football games. You don't run eight plays in one quarter or whatever it was. You, you can't do that type of uh, offensive performance uh, if you're going to beat a team like Stanford. So let's say in the first half you got outcoached, you got outplayed, everything, you're lucky, you played great great red zone defense, otherwise you're out of the game. In the second half they came out and started to play like like they should. They started to be a little bit more aggressive. They made some adjustments, but they didn't make enough adjustments because nobody really did cover uh, uh, McCaffrey on those passes. I, I mean, I can go through and tell you what broke down, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> but uh, it, it was a, a long day for the Trojans, uh, 41 to 22 in the great score. But uh, they got to the championship game. The kids played hard. I want to tell you. They really did play hard. They gave their effort, didn't get it done. Thank goodness for red zone defense uh, and uh, turnovers. You know, you can't have turnovers against Stanford. You, you can't. And that unfortunate situation when Kessler was stripped of the football and Thomas picked up the football and ran for a touchdown, they were still in the game. They were still in the game. They were even leading the game, 16-13 yeah. to 13 and 27-22 at one time. But they just couldn't hold up, and the offense couldn't stay on the field because they couldn't stop Stanford. And, Ryan, that's basically the answer. The best defense would have been if the offense just stayed on the field the whole game. You know, Nick, you bring up that, that um, you know, sack and fumble and scoop and score. Nick what Nick said, how did the Pac-12 title game look really similar to the other Stanford game? It was a slow start, then a comeback, and, you know, then a TD, a fumble and a TD before the route. Um, but I don't know if you thought – if you agreed with Nick that it kind of looked like the other game too it did it did and <clears throat> you know it's it somehow it gets very discouraging too as a football coach and I know you as a football fan and people that are hardcore football people out there or you wouldn't be calling this show and understanding it the twist stunts that they were doing and the inside stunts that they were doing we used to call those inside right and inside left with the linebackers they're easily picked up and they never picked them up. They never adjusted. They never stayed square to the line of scrimmage and take who's coming to you. There was breakdowns continuously with two different stunts and twists. How long does it take you to adjust to that? So, you know, there's a lot of things we can get through and talk about in the X and O portion of it, but that's not what this show's about. Okay, let's see. Let's... um Oh, so we got a, a voicemail that was way too long. We actually had a bunch of those this week. So people, if it's more than a minute, I'm not playing it. It's just too long. You know, check yourself. Keep it tight. When you think of voicemail, and if you, you don't like it, leave another one. Uh, but JC and the OC, um, he wanted to uh, treat the bowl game like a preseason game for next year and play Max Brown instead of playing Cody Kessler. We actually had a lot of people kind of make suggestions like this or similar to this. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, on that, Coach, uh, as far as going forward. We don't know the bowl schedule yet. We know it's December 30th against 
uh, Wisconsin in the Holiday Bowl. We'll, they'll probably start practicing uh, next week, maybe later this week. We'll see. But what are your thoughts on that about playing some of the younger guys, including Max Brown? Well, I think, <clears throat> personally, you owe it to your seniors and you owe it to the football world to, to win every game you play. Uh, I think also if you can develop young players, and you're very fortunate, you had five days of practice last week when you prepared for Stanford that other teams in the Pac-12 didn't have. You're going to have probably 15 practices here that, well, I can't say in the Pac-12 because 10 of the teams in the Pac-12 are going bowling. So two two teams in the Pac-12 aren't getting the extra practices that other are. So you get a lot of extra practice for your younger players. I'd love to see the or have the USC have the opportunity of playing Max Brown in this game. But I think the number one objective always is to win a football game. I don't think you're teaching what you're supposed to do, and that's accomplishing your goals, and that's to defeat your opponent. And you've got to do the very best you can to do that. Now they're going to have a difficult time maybe in preparation for this game because they've lost four coaches, and three of them on, are on the defensive side of the football, so... Preparing for Wisconsin is not going to be easy. Wisconsin's a very physical football team, such as Stanford. They run the ball, but they don't have a Kevin Hogan. And uh, I think they'll be much easier to stop than Stanford is. But, again, uh, who's going to put the defensive game plan together unless they have a defensive coach that uh, can start on that immediately? You've got one coach that's remaining on the defensive staff, and you're having to move a lot of people around to coach the defensive players. So, you know, that's part of the problem. So, But I think you've got to go into every football game to win. Otherwise, you're not teaching what it's all about to be successful and do your very best. You can't use this game as a scrimmage or next year. Hey, you're still, Philly, you're still playing this year. And you can finish the season with a, with a win, a big win, and have a 9-5 and five season. And believe me, Wisconsin's 9-3. and three. There are no pushovers. This is not going to be an easy football game. They're very dominant, very physical. So this is not an easy football game for USC, especially up front. Because these guys, Stanford is big, but these guys are bigger. Do they still have the same, they don't have the offense that Stanford has, and I don't think they play as good as defense is what Stanford plays. But hey, this is going to be a challenge. Yeah, no, hard to uh, disagree with that, Coach. We'll see. And, uh, there's a lot of pressure, though, and Clay Helton's got to make some tough decisions. He already has firing four guys. He might have to think about the future of this program and trying to get ready for Alabama. Um, it's a shame that, that Max Brown hasn't had any meaningful snaps um, you know, throughout his career, basically, and we thought that was going to happen this year. Obviously, did not so much turmoil, um, but yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. Let's see. We had another lo- voicemail that was too long. This was from Daniel in L.A., and he was talking about uh, Justin Wilcox has to be gone. Well, you got your wish, uh, Daniel. He said, teams putting up numbers like USC as an FCS school, not the USC way. Uh, he listens to the podcast on his train ride every day and really likes it. Um, thanks, Daniel. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of the reason, Coach, why they had to fire Justin Wilcox. You talked two weeks ago, Vernon Adams, the quarterback, sets you know all kinds of records and you know six touchdowns against USC. No one's ever done that. Then you have... Uh, Christian McCaffrey, like you already talked about, gets a triple triple with, you know, 200 yards rushing, 100 yards receiving, and over 100 yards in return yardage. Um, the number, you know, 461 total yards plus throws a touchdown. They just seem to be breaking down, not just in the, 
secondary or not just up front, just kind of all over the place. And I think that's part of the reason why fans wanted Justin Wilcox to be gone. Well, yeah, I think they did. And I think in a way he's relieved too. Uh, everybody's been bashing on him and gives him an opportunity to know what's happening here before the holiday season and relocate it, decide what he's going to do. I think one comment I heard, and I cannot say that this is something that was true, and maybe, Ryan, you can tell me this. I understand that somewhere during during the game or after the game, Justin was asked, who had McCaffrey on those plays? And his answer was, I don't know. Now, I don't know if that's true, so I don't want to start rumors on that. But it could be like a smart type of answer, like, hell, I don't know who had it, because he's been you know, pressured so much and asked all these different questions that sometimes you just don't say, well, the hell with it. I don't know. Maybe somebody broke down. I know one time who had both of half had him and he didn't have a chance of covering. It was a complete mismatch as far as the linebacker, the type of linebacker, the type of route they ran. We call it A, B option. You just make a move on the linebacker, and if he gives you the inside, you go outside. He didn't give him anything. He just went straight down the middle and ran away from him. And the other one was a was what you call like a hot route where you come across the you come across the backfield and if they had a stunt going on the backside, he'd pick up that guy. But nobody got through and nobody was stunning, so he sort of drifted around, came back to the open area, found the open area, and just sat there and waited for Hogan to find him when pressure was put on Hogan, and he hit him and he went down the field untouched. So, you know, there gets to be a time when it's just, it's time, and you know it as a coach, it's time that I know I'm not going to be around here. Do it sooner than later. Move on, get rid of me, and let someone else have these challenges. All right, Coach, let's see. Let's move on. Oh, and then as far as the uh, Wilcox said, we didn't get to talk to Wilcox after the game, so I don't know. Uh, you know we didn't, I, I don't think he got that from any official news outlets or anything, I think, but I, I didn't hear that one. Um, let's go to Dennis in Simi Valley. He says, uh, why does Coach Helton? Why does Coach Helton go from running twenty plus plays in a power formation, which totally worked against UCLA, to only running it two times against Stanford is beyond me. All the reasons to have a fullback in the backfield significant, significantly increase uh, against Stanford's physical defense. Watching the replay of last night's game, it's so incredibly obvious that a blocking fullback such as Soma, who, besides adding the much needed protection for Cody, is also a great run and pass threat would have changed the outcome of the game. I was a big-time Coach Helton supporter, but this is a huge error in judgment. I am now really having second thoughts on whether he is the right guy. I can go on uh, on about the defense, but I'd like to hear your and Coach's take on the fullback issue on Monday's podcast. I frequently sit next to Coach Hyde at the Trojan basketball game, so he knows I've been pushing for this uh, for some time now. Love the podcast. Never miss it. You can refer to me as Dennis from Simi Valley. What do you think, Coach? Well, Dennis, uh, I know exactly who you are, and I'm looking forward to seeing you. I think we sit next to each other uh, at the uh, games, and I uh, hope I get over there. And I certainly think that the USC Trojan basketball program is off to a great start. Congratulations to them. But football season is not over with yet. Yeah, I have to agree with Dennis 100%. I, that was one thing that I noticed. In fact, on the first three plays of the game, USC passed the football. I said, what are we doing? Are we getting back to 31 flavors again? I mean, let's go with who we are. Let's stay with our identity. All of a sudden, you're passing the ball in first down. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're off schedule, and you end up punting the ball. 
I didn't I didn't understand the beginning of the of the play calling whatsoever, and not the usage of uh, two great blockers. And also another thing too, Dennis, I, I mentioned you know they never throw the ball to the tight end. Uh, you've heard heard me talk about this the whole time. Why not since you're going to be a power identity type of football, just put a tackle at tight end, or put two tackles and put them in 80 numbers. They got to respect them. They're eligible. At least you get more blocking and put Vanuku or Pinner back there. Now you've got more power on the line of scrimmage as far as blocking and quit fooling people. I mean, you don't throw the ball to the tight end anyway. You could still throw the ball to a tackle and, and just, uh, you know, a little curl route, which they never hit the middle of the field anyway with curl routes and comeback routes in the middle of the field. So I don't know why you couldn't do that. It, it, it gives you more power. You're more physical in the whole package. But they they haven't done that. They got away from that. And, uh, again, you could use your larger receivers that are now currently tight ends, who I really feel are more basketball type of players anyway because they're not physical. And really the tight ends this year, when you look at it, what they've contributed to the team, uh, I think McNamara's caught 10 passes, four for touchdowns. That's a pretty good stat as far as throwing to your tight end. And three of the four touchdowns were exactly the same play. And they were all off play action. And I always think that play action, what you establish to run, is something that really makes you good. Same with the passing game. You know, once you run the football, all of a sudden your passing game is pretty good. And they don't spread the field. USC's passing game the last five years has been from primarily to one receiver. Go back and look at the history of it. Always one receiver. It's Schuster, it's Lee, it's Woods. It's one guy. While they have talented athletes all over the field, spread it and use it. So, you know, this is exactly, I agree, Dennis, with what you're saying. Form an identity. Be who you are. And don't let somebody change you. Get to who you are and be the hammer, not the nail. Be the hammer, not the nail. That's a, that's about as Coach Harvey Heise it gets. Love that. And thanks, Dennis. Yeah, I get, I get a lot of Facebook messages from Dennis about playing some of Anuku. So he's got one game left, Dennis, so we'll see what happens in the bowl game. And... No fullbacks on the horizon, so we don't know what's going to happen for the future of the position. Um, John wrote in. He said, clearly, excuse me, clearly your fears were realized, and USC was not mentally or emotionally ready to play this game against Stanford. It felt like the last few years, along with the craziness of this year and the questionable timing of an announcement last Monday, finally caught up with them. Like most fans, I am ready to move forward. What positives do you see? that you will expect to see in the future when Coach Helton has his own staff and a clean slate? Well, you know, I question the timing, since we haven't done a show since that, I've questioned the timing of the uh, coaches, uh, the the announcement of the head uh, coaching position, because, first of all, Ryan, correct me if I've mentioned this before, because I don't want to waste time on something I've said before, but first of all, Monday was a celebration of the hiring of Coach Helton, which is great. Everything was great. You know, everybody was excited. But where they focused on Stanford, the coaches and the kids, or where they focused on obtaining a goal, which was getting Coach Helton the head coaching position. And when they went home and when they were on the field or wherever they were, they were talking about Coach Helton and not Stanford. Now, Tuesday, correct me if I'm wrong, they brought the victory bell out 
on the practice field. And anytime I'm saying something that's not correct, Brian, you tell me. And they all ring the bell. Again, that reverts back to who? UCLA, not Stanford. So now you've gone Monday and Tuesday talking about UCLA and the announcement also of Clay Helton. Now, Wednesday you turn to Stanford. And now you get going and you're trying to focus again. So you're half and half still. I don't know how much you're focused on Stanford. Well, now, I said at the time when I was doing other shows, the time will tell whether these kids were just burned out with emotion by the time the game came or not. Time would tell. If they played well and they won the football game and everything went well, then I'm wrong on my assumption because then my assumption was it was great to get all the pressure off of them. They played more relaxed and everything else. But when I watched them play the first half, I couldn't figure out what football team that was from the week before when they played against UCLA. Now, the second half, they started to settle down a little bit. And they started to become who they were. Again, they went back to their identity. And they weren't afraid to run the football and stay with it. And they got to it. And they even ran the ball to the left successfully, which they haven't done much this year. So I don't know uh, about the announcement. I think it's a, a great announcement. If this is who their head football coach is going to be, then that's who it's going to be, and everybody should throw their support to Clay Helton. I always say this, you know, he's a very nice gentleman, but he's demonstrated to me so far, which is a very difficult thing to do, is to let people go. But he was one of them. He was an assistant coach. He knows their wives. He knows their kids. He knows all of this. But you're in a position now as the head guy, you got to do what's right. You don't get too many chances to be the head football coach at USC. And I used to tell all my assistant coaches, when they would come in and they told me they got a new job or they become a head coach, I said, now listen to me. you got a staff, but they hired you. You're not going to get many opportunities at this. You might have a lot of votes when you bring up a topic in your staff meeting. But if you don't like what they voted for, you say, guys, I love you, but my vote is bigger than your vote. And we're doing it this way. And you've got to start, start making these type of commitments and decisions. And right now with these decisions, it wasn't easy for him. He's even giving up his play calling, which I think is a smart decision. Be a head coach, like he said. Be the president of the United States. Have your cabinet. And if someone in the cabinet's not getting it done in recruiting or execution, uh, execution or, or uh, his duties in academics with his players, then you simply call him in and you say, you know, uh, this is a warning. You're not getting it done. And you make a change. You can't be afraid to do that for the best interest of the program. And it seems like he's, like you said, I mean, that's one, that was one question. He's such a nice guy. But to come out, you know, less than 24 hours after losing to Stanford and fire four people, um, I, I think that's showing that he, you know, he's taking this seriously. Obviously, he's taking it seriously, but he's willing to make the tough decisions. Not saying they're going to all be right. Not say, but the fact that he's ready to shake things up, I think, makes a lot of sense, Coach. I agree, and I'll tell you how important it is. He's got to hire the right people. Yeah. Like, like offensively, when you think about, well. What are you gonna What are you gonna run offensively? Well, you better know what you're gonna run offensively, and you go out and get the guy that knows that. Like, 
If you're going to run the Stanford offense, go out and talk to Pep Hamilton, who was Andrew Luck's offensive coordinator up there with Harbaugh and Shaw before he went to Indianapolis. They've let him go. Well, you can hire these guys now because you're, you, have, you can have so many coaches that are full-time on your staff. Let the recruits know and everyone know who you're getting, or at least go after so the recruits get fired up, kids get fired up. Your philosophy of what you're going to do, you're starting to form. And the same thing on the defensive side of the football. Now, they might not leave the school or NFL team they're at, but kids know who's coming in. Is it a Dwayne Walker that was the defensive coordinator at UCLA? Is it Joe Barry? Who is the guys? Is it Ed Orgeron that's coming back? You've got to go after and get the people who fit what your philosophy is and what you think can win the Pac-12 in a national championship in all the areas, not one area, all the areas. All right, Coach, let's move on. Eric in Calabasas says, embarrassing game. Really thought after the UCLA game the team was showing its physical presence, but that wasn't seen much. Uh, when the other team has one player to watch that will beat you, how do you prepare so poorly to defend against him, especially when everyone in the building knows what's coming? Fight on, Eric in Calabasas. Well, you know, I think, first of all, first of all, I think you've got to spy a guy that good. you got to sign somebody to him, almost like a rover, they used to call it rover and you just say hey this is my guy and also with that rover you mean bring in another defensive lineman and you play an extra defensive lineman against Stanford rather maybe than a linebacker and you got to stop the run you got to substitute because they don't they don't hurry up offense they're in the huddle they don't care you're able to get a whole defensive line out there and off the field between their jumbo formations so you can do down distance situations and on the first down Hell, I'd have an extra defensive lineman out there in a linebacker spot off tackle, smash down, try to stop this damn play before it gets started. This kid is slippery. This kid has really got a feel to the field and where to bump out, bump around, and run inside, outside. Their offensive lineman pulls so so uh, good up the field that you got to crash that play. you got to force those guards where they can't even get out there or find a seam to turn up. You gotta put some big guy outside their tight end that comes down the line of scrimmage, six five, two hundred and ninety pounds, and stacks everything up. I mean completely. Smashes it up and knocks it all back. It used to be like the old Eagle defense. Coaches out there will know what I'm talking about. Or something off tackle. Well you can do that. And then I'd put Bobby give a assignment, I'd have to look at everything to Sue Craven. Sue would be just assigned to him on run and pass and everything the guy does. Got to put an extra guy in it. But you're giving up something. But give up something. Make him beat you with something else. But you got to have an idea and a plan that you can go to when you play a team like this. All right. Uh, let's go. We got Wrigley Trojans uh, rode in. Um, so thanks for all you do to keep us updated about USC football. Love the podcast. I was at the Pac-12 title game Saturday night, and I didn't understand why Sua Cravens was not keying in on uh, Christian McCaffrey. USC's best defensive player against Stanford's best offensive player. A similar strategy for using Sua like that appeared to work last week. Wanted to find out from the coach if he had any thoughts about the defensive strategy and execution. Well, we sort of explained that in our last question, but all year I've been saying, and you hear me say it, so it's not like I'm just bringing it up now, that I always felt that Sua should have been a, a safety for USC. Why would you have him on one side of the field where he should be on both sides of the field? And 
have the availability to stop the run, stop the pass, do everything. But for some reason, USC has chosen to play him at the position that he's playing at. He's really not, I don't think, that's not what he's going to be playing in the NFL. We all know that. So I think that, you know, you've, you've got to be very physical up front. And he's very quick, and he makes he's a sure tackler. And he's smart. He can get all your guys lined up. Do you think those guys wouldn't have been lined up in the secondary properly if he was back there in the secondary against Oregon? They'd have been lined up properly. At one time when I was at UNLV, Danny Tarkanian was a point guard for Jerry Tarkanian, but he's an all-state football player and he's a great safety. I went over and talked to Tark, and I said, Tark, I want your son to come out and play football his senior year. Next year he can come out and be a football player and play my safety position. Uh, and he said, why would you want to do that? He says, because I know my guys, guys are four-point students, I'm telling you they'll be on the correct guy. I'm not going to have any breakdowns. If they beat us, they got to beat us because they're just better. It's not because we didn't cover somebody. And uh, he decided not to do that because he wanted to play quarterback, and he was an all-state quarterback. But I happened to have Randall Cunningham, a quarterback, that year. And I said, Dan, I don't think you'd make it. So that's a true story. And I, I really think, too, that uh, Sua is out of position. And I'm not second-guessing. Yes, I am. I'm second-guessing. I'm not going to be one of these guys. I'm second-guessing what his position has been the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, we have a, another kind of Sua question. We'll just do two quick ones, and we'll be done, Coach. Um, Coach, have you ever seen a player like Sua Cravens with as much heart, talent, and football IQ? In that championship game, it would have been hard to argue that he was the second-best player on the field next to Christian McCaffrey. As much as I want to... Uh, him to stay and play in 2016 at USC, I think it would be unwise for him to come back. There's something special about Sua that belongs at the next level, being generously compensated for how special a player he is. Thanks, Coach, and fight on. Jared in the SLC. Well, you know, I, I, I would like to see everybody come back. I call it a four-year marriage, okay? When, when you give a scholarship to someone, I like to see him be there the full time. How many players come out of Stanford early? I mean, they, how many fifth-year starters did they have, not only just seniors starting? They're there to get their education, get the whole package, enjoy college life, be what it's all about. Not not, not think about, oh, I'm going to college, but I, too, I want to play in the NFL. Oh, I understand all the money thing. I understand that more than anybody. But there's a great feeling, too, of, finishing it. There's two decisions you're making in your life that are your most important decisions. One, where you go to college, and two, who you marry. And I think they're both very similar. They're everlasting. And I I, I just would like to see all of the juniors at USC come back. And as a commitment to, hey, it wasn't good enough. We want to complete what we've started. And and see that type of togetherness happen. Now, will it happen? I don't know. But I'd like to see it happen. I think it would be a great indication to the football world, to USC tradition football, to the fans, the players on the team, to see that happen. I don't know, except for Sue, how many guys on the USC team, really currently, uh, will be drafted in the high rounds in the NFL. I don't think they've had those type of great careers, the ones that are eligible. 
I know Banner and, and Wheeler and these guys are thinking of coming out, but hey, Zach needs another year. He just started to become a football player. Yeah, in the past, in fact, the first half of the season, I was on his butt. He's big man. Big man on big man. Show us you can do it. So, you know, these guys, if they want to really get something out of life, let's use it that way. Something out of life, come back. Be a part of the USC Trojan football program. And a guy that can start it all is Sua. If he decides, and he hasn't made up his mind yet if he's coming out. But he, if he decides to stay, I think that would start it all for everybody to really unite and get after it. Yeah. Uh, he loves Clay Helton, so we'll see. I mean, he wasn't going to comment after the game. We'll we'll see what he ends up doing and some of the other juniors. Usually someone that you don't expect leaves. So uh, we'll we'll keep you up to date what's happening there. we got one more for you, Coach, and we'll let you go. I know you got plenty of things to do. Uh, I'm sure more news is breaking at USC while we're recording this. Um, let's see. This is from the G. He says, uh, hey, Ryan, the G from San Marino near Christmas Tree Lane. And he said, I know the coach is from Pasadena. Um, regarding the game, there's no shame in losing to one of the top teams in the country. The third were consistent, tough, and fundamentally sound. They deserve being the, the Pac-12 champions. Question for Coach Hyde. As the head coach, tell us what speech you would give uh, these warriors in the locker room after the loss, recognizing that they still have to prepare for one more game. I look forward to Coach Hyde's no-nonsense, straight talk. Fight on the G. Well, I think... Uh... What would have happened, uh, and I don't know what the procedures are at USC. I like to have my moment with the team before anybody comes in the locker room. I don't know if that's USC's policy or not. But I think it's very important to, when everybody is emotional and just finished either winning or losing, that they have that special moment together. I really do. Where uh, you uh, say what you feel you should say to them. You talk to them as men, and you ask them to look at themselves in a mirror and say, did I do my very best today? I used to have my team get on one knee, not sit around and, you know, be tearing off tape and somebody in the bathroom and, you know, not everybody united. We would, uh, I would have them look up at me and I'd walk around. I mean, I'd be in the middle of them, but turning around in the circle so they could all see me. And I'd talk to them about tonight's performance and who we are and what it means to all of us as far as what we accomplished today or didn't accomplish today, and what we need to do to improve on as far as being who we ought to be. And I would say to them after the championship game, if that's what you want to know, I'd say, you know, we were close, but that's not good enough. And I think we helped Stanford beat us rather than Stanford beating us. I think we contributed to it, not only as a football team as far as players but as a staff I think when we all win together we all win when we all lose together we all lose together and obviously we weren't able to achieve our goal which was to go to the Rose Bowl now we can sit around and we can pout and we can point figures and we can say this or we can say that or we can be men and understand that we lost the battle but we're not going to lose the war and we're going to go back, and we're going to keep our heads high. We're going to go to class. We're going to do everything. We're going to practice hard. I'm depending on all of you to help us in recruiting and everything that we need to do to be a real, true Trojan. And then I'd tell them a few other things, and uh, and then I would 
allow the locker room to open up for questioning. And I'd say, remember, uh, when you're interviewed and what you say is uh, sometimes interpreted wrong, so be careful how you say things so that we never embarrass our program. Not you, but we never embarrass our program. And then we ready break. Because every time I have a meeting with a team, whether it's in a classroom or on the field, we always have a ready break, and they know it's not one of these ready breaks. When I say, ready, and they give a big break. Like it's all coming out at one time. And then we go to our next uh, assignment, whatever that might be, pack up and go home. All right, Coach. Great stuff. A little bit of a crazy day. I mean, if, if you have a minute and you wanted to talk about the, I know we never like talking about, or you're not, your preference is not to talk about, you know, speculation about coaches being relieved. Uh, Clay Hilton did relieve four of the assistant coaches, three on the defensive side of the ball. Before we go, I don't know if you wanted to make any further comment on that. We talked about Justin Wilcox, but just, if you do, the floor is yours. Well, you know, the, being a head football coach isn't fun. It's a great honor to be a football coach, a head football coach. There's only so many head coaching positions in the world, and and you don't get your opportunity to become a head football coach very often. I was fortunate I was at two different universities. I was an assistant coach. I was a high school coach. I'm very happy to have coached at the junior college level, too, where I've had the experiences of winning and losing on all levels. I understand it's just as important to a a high school coach as it is to a NFL coach to prepare and to be victorious. And I think that's something that's great that I've had the experience of doing, of understanding, of working with kids that are 13 years old, 14 year old, 15 year olds, all the way up to uh, players who have been first round draft choices or second round draft choices, no matter what. And I think you get a great thrill at watching kids grow up. I follow their careers. I talked to many of my coaches who's chose, or many of my players who have chosen to be coaches, and I always try to tweet them every week and wishing them good luck or, or congratulations and winning. And I also follow all of them that became doctors, lawyers, own their own businesses, and all of that because it, as a coach, you get to see people grow. And it's a great feeling to see even your assistant coaches to get head football coaching jobs, which mean you're being successful as a head football coach because these guys believe in you to be a part of your staff. And the coach for you means that one of them are going to get your job if you decide to leave because we're that successful, or they're going to be able to become a head football coach from the program they're at because they sold out and did their very best for the football program. So I think that's what you have to form, that type of family atmosphere of, hey, we're all going to get something out of this more than just winning football games. Education, experiences, memories, friendships, uh, the whole thing, plus reaching your goal in whatever direction of life you decide to go. Uh, You compete every day, and you've heard me use this term, uh, winning every day is important because game day is every day. I practice that now because we I just don't play games anymore. It's just a game day, every day. At the end of the day, I say, what did I accomplish? Did I win or lose today? Did we get done what we needed to do to become a better person or in business, where our business, did it get better today or whatever it might be? So, you know, I think that's basically now Coach Helton's uh, got this opportunity in his life to determine the lives and of many people. 
staff, players, university, the whole package. So this is something that he has a lot of pressure on him, but what a great feeling to have that opportunity. So good luck to him, and uh, I want to wish everybody a happy holiday season. All right, Coach, great stuff. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, maybe next week we can talk about stuff that's a little bit more normal. I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll talk more bowl prep and stuff next week. But thanks again for coming on. Thank you very much. And everybody, thank you for being a part of our show. Because without you, we don't have a huddle. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to have a quick message from our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. Thanks so much. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 